Last night we got our first gold medal. Yep. Sage Kotzenberg, 20-year-old snowboarder from Park City, Utah. Took home the gold medal in the snowboard slope style. I don't know if any of you watched it, but it's, it looks like a skateboard course for, for snowboards. They got the pipes and they got the big hills where they do the big jumps. But uh, Sage Kotzenberg, in the interviews afterwards, it was pretty interesting to listen to him. He, he's a real laid-back guy, as many of those snowboarders are. His vocabulary consists of, like, red, sick, <laughs> you know, all this, this cool stuff. And they asked him about his run, and he's like, I just sort of make this stuff up. The, 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 the move that won the gold medal for him is four and a half revolutions in the air. Grab the front of the board with your hand, and somebody says it's like playing Twister on a flying saucer. He said, yeah, I decided to do that three minutes before my run. Never tried it before in my life. <laughs> yeah, and his coach said this. He says, Sage is all about snowboarding, having fun, and making snowboarding look as fun as it is. I read a little bit of his bio about how he got started. He said as a five-year-old, he was out skiing, and his brother Blaze was out on a snowboard, and his brother Blaze said, try this. And, and his bio said he had so much fun on the snowboard that he never went back to skiing. He just loved the fun of it. He held on to that fun, and it won him the gold medal. His passion that he got at the beginning was what won him the gold medal, helping him to finish strong when he got to the Olympics. He had not won a major competition since he was 11. Here it's 20 years old, retapped into that passion of fun and, and took it home. And as we think about that, I, I want to go from that angle with the life of Paul. That sometimes what it means to finish strong is to tap into the passion we had at the beginning of our walk with Jesus. To finish strong for Jesus means that we go back to that moment when he saved us out of our sin, gave us new life and gave us a new purpose. Remembering that can return us to the passion that we had at the beginning and enable us to finish strong. You look at the last 10 years of Paul's life, chains, trials, and an eventual execution, and you can be pretty sure it wasn't some external list of do's and don'ts that kept him sharing the gospel of Jesus. What was it then? It was the fact that he knew God had saved him. And that turned his world upside down. That kept turning his world upside down. He never forgot that day on the Damascus Road. Do you remember the day Jesus saved you, if you've come to that point in your life? Do you remember what he saved you from? you remember what he called you to? That's what kept Paul going. That's what's going to keep us going as well. Three times in this book, Acts chapter 9, when it originally happened, and then 22 and 26, when Paul tells his conversion story, three times we have the whole story. Almost as long as a full chapter in each situation. You say, wow, if Luke took that much space to share a conversion story, the moment where we came to Jesus must be really important. Three times in one book? Okay, we heard this, Luke. Luke's like, I know you heard it, but you need to know 
that when a life is changed for Jesus, that, that's everything. That's, that's what it's about. So first I want to give you a little background of, of where Paul is this morning. And then we're going to look at how he shared his story. And as we look at how he shared his story with this angry mob, we're going to talk about how you and I can do a better job of sharing our own story. First he shared who he was. He shared who I was before Jesus came to save my life. Remember those days? Some of us, it's a little harder. I was six. Some of you were older. Who I was, how God changed me. Remember how God did it in your life? The people, the situations that he used to bring you to Jesus, and then what it is he called me to. And as we go through that, I hope it'll inspire us to share our own. Let's, let's start with the background, though. You guys will remember that Paul had gone to Jerusalem to promote unity between the Jews and Gentiles. He was carrying this gift from the Gentiles to the Jewish church because Paul cared about the church being one. And there's all this tension. He knew, hey, if we take this gift, hopefully the Jewish church will accept the Gentiles a little more wholeheartedly. He went there and he actually got there and the Jewish church is like, hey, Paul, there's one more thing you could do that would really help smooth over some of these tensions. Go to the temple and take part in this purification rite with some of these other Jewish Christians. Paul's like, okay, I'll do it. And while he was doing that in his attempt to smooth the tension, those who hated him jumped on him and used it for just the opposite. Verse 27, when the seven days of the purification were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, against our law, and against this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Trophimus is a Gentile. There's a part of the temple that Gentiles cannot go. There are signs that they found in the 18 and 1900s, parts of them that are still left, that said if a Gentile enters in here, you do so at the risk of your own life. The Romans actually allowed the Jews to execute them riot style if they went in there. This is a big offense, but it didn't happen. Paul didn't do that. Trophimus didn't do that. But still, when a riot starts, as Warren Wearsby said, a lot of times people's brains are in neutral and their passions in drive. That's what's going on here. Verse 30, the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. Now this commander had a thousand troops at his disposal. There was a building called the Fortress of Antonio that was connected to the temple. They would have killed Paul if these soldiers hadn't come down. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. Let's take him up the steps, get him away from this crazy mob. 
When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. 27 years earlier, there was a crowd in Jerusalem that had yelled for Jesus, away with this man, crucify him. And there's a good chance that this fortress of Antonia, where they're dragging Paul to, is the same place where Jesus stood before Pilate, truly following in his master's footsteps. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied? Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul spoke Greek. He spoke Hebrew, Aramaic. God had uniquely equipped him for all these situations. So this commander thinks he's some rebel Egyptian. He speaks Greek, and the commander's like, whoa, who is this guy? And Paul says, no, I'm a Jew, a citizen. Please let me speak to the people. So he receives the commander's permission, and he starts to speak to them now, in their own language. And as he shares his story, I want you to be thinking of your story. We're going to start with Paul sharing, who, this is who I was. I want you to think about who you were before Jesus. What sins enslaved you? What were you doing that maybe you didn't even know fully it was, it was sinful, but you look back now and you, you can see you were walking down a, a wrong path that was leading you to hopelessness. Where were you before Jesus? Chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, so respectful. This is a crowd that just about tried to kill him, right? <laughs> I mean, the composure that Paul had must have come from the Holy Spirit, right? You've got a mob trying to kill you. Is your first instinct to get up there and be like, brothers and fathers? Well, it's like, what are you people doing? I'm here trying to bring you the good news of Jesus. And you're trying to kill me. He's like, brothers and fathers. And <laughs> that's part of what Peter says later in the New Testament, right? When we share the gospel, we do it with gentleness and respect. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Listen now to, to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. They're like, well, he's speaking our language. That's an important point too. Whether it's, Actual language or just your behavior. When, you, when you're talking to a group of people, you want to speak to them where they're at. You want to connect with them every way you can. Become all things to all people. Short of sin, you do everything you can to build that bridge. They became very quiet. Then Paul said, listen to all these ways he's going to build a bridge. I am a Jew. You're Jews. I'm Jew. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but I was brought up in this city of Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a well-respected Pharisee. They would hear that name and say, wow, this guy knows the law. We love the law. He loved the law. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. And I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. This is so cool. He's like, you, you see how you just tried to kill me? Don't you remember years ago when there was a guy named Stephen? I stood there just like you, giving approval to that. I took your clothes. What you're doing to me, I used to do to people. I relate to your passion. He's, he's building this bridge. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. He's like... I relate to where you're at. 
I grew up that way. I, in fact, I was probably more passionate than any of you were. How many of you chase people to other cities to bring them back and throw them in jail? I relate to where you're at right now. What about you? When you, when you connect with people in the world, as I hope you do at your workplace, in your neighborhood, what are the ways that you can relate to them? I know for me personally, I've shared with some of you guys, whenever I meet a young man who's, whose marriage or relationship is hurting because he's dabbling in pornography, I connect right away with that guy because for two or three years of my life, I was trapped in that stuff. I, I was coming back to it again and again and again, even though it was leading me into this double life where I'd go to church on Sunday and have all the right answers in my college group. Saturday night, I was in this world of sin. So when I meet somebody like that, I don't immediately start bashing on them. I'm like, I know that battle. Let, let me talk about that. Let me talk to you about who it is that set me free from that. Maybe for you, it's not that. Maybe, though, it's you look back at your life before Jesus, and to you, all that mattered to you was money, just piling up more money, more money, more status in the world. And then you came to Jesus, and all of a sudden, he showed you, that that's not where it's at. It's in me. So you find somebody like that, and your first instinct isn't to bash them. It's like, hey, I relate to that. I was there, but let me tell you, I found something, something better. Maybe it's lying. You know, maybe you've got a problem, just you, you, you don't tell the truth to people. Maybe it's because you want to look better than you are or whatever. If that's something that captured you before you came to Jesus, you find somebody who's a perpetual liar. Your first instinct isn't to just bash them. Your first instinct is, man, I used to think I had to build up myself too. I, I worried so much about what people thought that I just would constantly lie. But you know what? I found my significance in Jesus. Paul built those bridges. We need to be building those bridges as we share who we were. But he went on to to talk about how God changed him. How God changed him. And this is huge. Paul, in sharing all those things about how he grew up, was not only building a bridge to relate to these people. He's saying, look, I didn't go looking for change in my life. I was just like you. So the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing now compared to how I was earlier, something must have happened that was divine. And when we share our stories, we need to look for those things in our stories that say, this wasn't me. I wasn't pursuing God. I didn't go looking for this. He came looking for me, just like he's looking for you. How God changed me. Verse 6, about noon. As I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now all these Jews know about heaven. And they know that if you hear a voice from heaven, you better obey it. This is important. You, you get a light and a voice from heaven, do what it says. Okay? They're, they're tracking with him. Paul knew that when that light and that voice came. But Paul's first question was, who are you, Lord? He didn't know who this voice was. We know the story, so we get used to it. But he's like, who are you, Lord? Imagine his shock. In the shock of this crowd, when the Lord answered, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. For us, we're like, yeah, I know this story. For Paul's like, what? Light voice from heaven, and it's Jesus? I thought he was dead. I, I thought the, that his body was stolen, like my leaders have been telling me for years, and now he's talking to me. 
That's what it took to change this persecutor of Christians. And I love that he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. It's, it's as though Jesus is going out of his way to say, yeah, I'm the, the son of God who lived as a God in flesh. And I'm alive. Whom you are persecuting. That's interesting too. When Paul persecuted the church, Jesus said, I take that personally. That's my body. You're persecuting me. He said, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Verse 10, good question for Paul. You, you're talking to Jesus, who's talking to you out of a light. You're down on the ground. What shall I do, Lord? <laughs> That's a good question. He wants to find out what now. And the Lord's like, get up. <laughs> and go into Damascus. There, there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. So his companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. This man who moments before had been so proud and so passionate against Jesus is now humbled to blindness where he needs led by the hand into the city. Now watch as he talks about this meeting in the city, how far out of his way he goes to, to show that Ananias, this early Christian disciple who he's going to meet, was also a faithful Jew. Because he's building this audience with this bridge, right? A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law. They're like, okay, maybe they'd even heard of him. Highly respected by all the Jews living there. He's like, look, this, this guy loves your law. He's respected by your people. But he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. <laughs> Paul's like, okay, not only is light from heaven in this voice, I was blind and now I could see. I did not do this. It, it leaves the question on them. All right, who did this? It had to be God. Then he said, Ananias said to Paul, the God of our ancestors, that was a very Jewish term. Paul's going out of his way to say, guys, this hope I have in Jesus comes out of the thing you believe in. If you just see that the law you believe points to him, you'd get it like I got it. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. The Jews would have heard that and said the Messiah and to hear words from his mouth. We, we talked about who he was, and how his life changed. For Paul, it was a Damascus road. It was Ananias coming to him, sight, restored. What's your story? How did your life change? I want you to just take, I'm going to be quiet for like 20 seconds and just let your mind wander back if you've had that moment. Recall it. Get it fresh again. Maybe tell God thank you again for that moment. If you're like me and you're saved when you were young, maybe, maybe it's an age like for me when, when God delivered me from pornography, even as a Christian, when I first really understood fully what His grace meant in my life. Because as a six-year-old, I hadn't done a whole lot of sinning. I did my share. But I didn't really appreciate his grace until he said, maybe it's a moment like that for you. Go back. Remember that. And I think that's important. Let's go back to the snowboarder. I think, 
and I'm not judging these other snowboarders, but maybe some of them had gotten so caught up in what the judges were going to think about them, all the do's and don'ts and the technicalities of the sport, and rehearsing that, that route over and over again, as many of them did. Maybe they forgot to have fun. Maybe they forgot the passion of the sport, and maybe that cost them the gold medal. Maybe for some of us, Christianity, our walk with Jesus has turned into that. We've forgotten the passion. We forgot that he saved me from that pit. He, he met me where I'm at, and he turned my life around. And for us, it's just become a list of go to church, don't swear, go on with your list of do's and don'ts. And, and there's just no passion anymore. To get that passion back, to finish strong, we've got to go back like Paul did to the beginning of the race. Where did it start for you? So he talked about who he was, how God changed him, and then what it is that God called him to. As we go through this part, I want you to think about what is it God's called you to. And we all know the call is to make disciples, right? Followers of Jesus who make other followers of Jesus. That's what we're all called to. No matter what else we do, if we're not doing that, we miss the heart of Jesus' purpose for us here. But some of you know even more than that. He's led you to do it this way with this people group or this country or this city or this place. Do you remember that call? Paul's going to share his. Ananias told him, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. That didn't mean literally that Paul was going to speak to every person on the earth, but Paul was to share with Jews and Gentiles. Everywhere he went, if you remember earlier in the book, he'd start at the Jewish synagogue. Most of the time he got kicked out, and then he went to the Gentiles. That was his unique call. And now, what are you waiting for? That's a great question. If you've heard God's call in your life, now what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Now this verse has caused theologians to do backflips over the years because it sounds like when you read it in this translation, get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name, that somehow I've got to be baptized in water to be forgiven by Jesus. We know that's not biblical. Ephesians 2 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. So why does it say it this way? Poor translation. The, the, the phrase there is an aorist tense, which if you read it in the Greek would say, get up, having called on his name, you did that already, you called on his name, now be baptized. This is a poor translation, that's all, so don't get tripped up where he's going. So he gets up, he does that, and then he goes to Jerusalem. Some people think this is like three years later. How many of you have had this experience where you get a sense of God's call early on, but as you go through life it gets clearer and clearer? You don't get it all right away. He doesn't download the whole thing. But as you keep walking with him, you get, you get more clarity on the next step. He goes to Jerusalem probably three years later and says, when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying at the temple, he said, I think he says that on purpose. He's like, I was praying at this temple, that one that you love so much. I was praying there. Okay? I was there. I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, Leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. He's like showing them, guys, it was the Lord that told me to leave here and go to the Gentiles. It wasn't my idea. 
I wanted to. In fact, he argued with God. You ever argue with God? <laughs> listen to what he says. He tries to tell God why they will listen to him. He's like, Lord, these people know I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. What's his logic? He's like, they know me. They know how passionate I was for the same things they're passionate about. So surely when they hear that story, they're going to be like, whoa, if he's doing this now, God must have changed me. But God knew they weren't going to have that response. So he says, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. When you're arguing with God about his call on your life, and his logic is different than your logic, whose logic are you going to go with? Paul, we know, said, okay, Lord, I give. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. If you could imagine the, the anger and the passion of that crowd. We've seen riots on TV. Maybe you have been in the middle of a riot. You know, some of the ones that have happened in Egypt in the past couple years. These are the kinds of scenes that come to mind when I read this. Did you notice what it was that set them off? They listened to them up till this point, but what was it? Gentiles. Yeah. And it wasn't just talking to Gentiles. They knew their prophet Jonah had been sent to the Gentiles. The Pharisees even, even traveled around the world, Jesus referenced in Matthew 23, trying to make proselytes. The difference is when the Pharisees did it, they said, you come to our system of Judaism first. But what Paul was doing, saying, you, you don't need that whole system. You come straight to Jesus, Gentiles. That Amen. ticked them off. That set them off. Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. Just imagine that. We know they took off their cloaks when they stoned Stephen. They may have been preparing for that. They, maybe they wanted to stone Paul, just like Stephen was stoned. Throwing dirt in the air. Maybe they're just tearing him. That was a Jewish sign of grief. That This man is teaching something that's not true, which was so wrong riotous scene, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Now, Paul had been whipped multiple times. He'd been beaten with rods. This one was going to be a little different. This was talking about the flagellum, which Jesus was whipped with before his death. It was it was the whip handle of wood with leather straps that had pieces of bone and glass embedded in the leather. Oftentimes it killed people. The, the commander is desperate to find out what's going on here, so he's going to torture Paul to get it out of him. As they stretched him out to flog him, check this out, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? So calm. <laughs> the commander didn't know this was a Roman citizen. You can't do this to a Roman citizen. In fact, if a commander did this to a Roman citizen knowingly, the commander himself could be executed. What I see in Paul's life is 
If, if you've got a way out that still honors Jesus, you don't feel bad about taking it. <laughs> There's lots of ways to be a witness. Paul pulls this out and says, it's legal for you to flog a Roman citizen. When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. Because this is big news. We can't do this. We're going to get in trouble. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. And they have this little back and forth. The commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. Sometimes you could get a citizenship by bribing certain officials. He's like playing his card. I had to pay money for mine. Paul's like, I got you beat. I was born a citizen. Trump card. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. They wanted nothing to do with this because they'd get in big trouble. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. And he brought Paul and had him stand before them. And that's where we're going to stop today. Next time we get together, we're going to look at how he shared his defense with the Sanhedrin. But this last section here, I just want to say that dying for Jesus is not the only way to bring glory to him. Paul had multiple opportunities after this to continue to share Jesus with his people and governors, and eventually he stood before Caesar to share Jesus. Who knows what opportunities you and I have down the road to continue to bring him glory that way. But as we close, I just want to ask you, are you still living in the passion? When you think about finishing your life strong for Jesus, do you remember why you began to run in the first place? Are you living out of that place? Does that rock your world, if not daily, at least on a weekly basis, what, what, what God did for you? Hopefully it's daily. Hopefully you never forget. And hopefully that drives you to go and share with people who I was, how God changed me, and what He called me to. There are situations you'll encounter that that and only that will keep you going forward. You let go of that and your, your walk with God becomes a list of do's and don'ts. Why would, you, why would you do anything hard for that? Why would you bring glory to God for that? But if it's that passion, man, if we could just get to where Paul was in the power of the Holy Spirit and say, my life means nothing to me if only I may share Jesus and his gospel with the world. Amen. That challenges me. <laughs> Father, I'm so thankful for Paul's example, the example of your Holy Spirit in him, the passion that he had, much of which I believe stemmed from his memory of what you did for him. He called himself the chief of sinners and said over and over, if he could save me, he could save anybody. We relate to that, Lord, when we look at our lives, God. Thank you. We say for your salvation. If there's anybody in here who, who hasn't yet come to that moment, maybe, maybe there's somebody in here that thought of this thing with Jesus, like this list of do's and don'ts. Maybe today you're speaking to them that it's so much more than that. It's a, it's a life change. It's a passion. It's a drive. God, I pray that they'd speak with the friend that brought them or talk to me or someone in this room, Lord, that 
I could just share our own story with them and help point them towards you. It's as simple as just saying, Jesus, I believe you are alive, that you died for my sins, you rose again, and I'm going to trust in that. I want you to change my life. Give me a new purpose, a new direction. I trust in you, Jesus. It's that simple. Thank you for that, that world change. Thank you for the passion. Help us to grow in that. In Jesus' name, amen.